another episode of Citation Needed, the history podcast that is one-tenth of the way to Simon Bolivar's empire. Ten years, baby. Yeah, that's right. Hey. And oh, yeah. It's yeah, about yeah, a, hey, yeah. Doing it about a year. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know, probably a little bit longer by the time this drops, but, uh, you know, we don't have one for every week, but we're doing all right. Oh, yeah. Um, still kicking. We're certainly better organized. We are better organized still than some Boulevard's empire. Uh, my name's Colin Dunphy, and this is uh, Citation Need, a history podcast that uh, doesn't really take itself very seriously because we don't know all the facts, and we just know some of the facts, and we're trying to articulate to you how exciting these facts are. Uh, they just, we're telling fun stories from history without all the dry stuff. With me as always, Ryan Buckley, Jonathan Grant, and today I'm going to be telling you a story, uh, something interesting from history, and unfortunately... It's kind of weird and rambly, and I don't really know why I'm doing this story, and, I, and it's just... I just hope no ghosts show up. It's a good chance <laughs> ghosts are going to show up. <laughs> uh, no, we need no more ghosts yet. <laughs> uh, so I'm doing a story today <laughs> that's inspired by uh, Machiavelli's The Prince. Uh, I was reading it recently. Wait, what are you doing with that? Oh no, it's the ghost <laughs> Both because Pablo wait. Escobar's in the in the studio. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt. But mainly, do you like these sneakers? <laughs> yeah, the sneakers are great. Why are you so threatening about the sneakers? What do you think, really? They mean a lot to me <laughs> and to the people. I can't see his sneakers. He's not wearing sneakers. He's barefoot, and <laughs> the ghost of Simon or not Simon <laughs> Pablo Escobar. All recording. Oh, he's gone. He's, I don't he's, myself. he's being chased out by a militia of the of Americans and Colombians and militia. Yeah, he's he's being chased. Check out. me out later on TV. I, and he's gone. And he's gone. So that was just a, a sidetrack into once Pablo. In a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ghost of Pablo Escobar mm-hmm. does haunt the studio. So if you listen to the last episode, that would make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If not that considerably that, more so. otherwise that yeah. Just, yeah. That just happened. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise that just happened and we can roll with that. Um so back Easter to eggs. love them. Back to why I'm gonna start rambling about uh the French. <laughs> um All I've these re- recurring things. Yeah, yeah. I love the French. I think the French are a fascinating uh historical group because they've got a little taste of everything. Mm. You get a little bit of romanization. You gotta deal with the annoying Brits that we all hate. Mm -hmm. Um, You gotta deal with colonial Europe. You're kind of in the way of everything if they're gonna if it's gonna happen. You just military a, superpower, military scapegoat. Like, yeah, you're um, you've got a ton up and down, and it seems like there's this ambition in the French that's really exciting to me. There's like this kind of gumption that's not exactly like uh, the chivalry of England, but it's not quite the like we're gonna stab everyone in the back of like Spain and yeah. South America stuff like that. And it's it's not quite Italian either. Somehow it's a little bit different. So, I'm going to start with an Italian, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've read The Prince, and I love The Prince. I love Machiavelli. I think he's great. I think he gets a bad rep for Machiavellianism as bad. Machiavellianism is not bad. It's sneaky, and it's underhanded, but it's how the world works. And if you want to look at the world without idealism, which is what a lot of his writing is about, uh, and without all of the delusions of grandeur you want to give the people in power... Um, then, you know, you got to look and see that the world is ruled by Machiavellianism. I'm going to give a tiny little bit of background history on Machiavelli, because I might end up doing an episode about him. But basically what happened is he was in charge of uh, the diplomatic affairs of um, the Republic of Florence. 
Um, and that's pretty cool. Like, that was important. And it was a republic, and he was a proud republican. And he didn't, he got to meet everyone. He was all over the place. He, he was just everywhere. Um, but he was just kind of there to do grunt work, deliver messages, uh, kind of, you know, make sure that people are tight with Florence and yeah. do some flattery over here. And he's a hype man. He's a hype man, but he got yeah. to see the ugly underside of what politics were. And the people who he was in charge with, uh, who, who he was the um, secretary of, like, you know, diplomacy, basically, for, got ousted. Uh, by the Medici. And the Medici, um, take, kicked him out. He'd been the guy forever. And they actually tortured him for a real long time, being like, uh, I think you're gonna launch a conspiracy, and there's evidence of you going against a conspiracy. And he's like, no, I just did my job. I did my job forever. Yeah. Uh, I was a loyal guy, and I just did my work, and I did my work well, and that's why they did so well under me. It's not like I had any sort of conspiracy, and I've tight with anyone else. Don't, don't think I'm more than I am. I just did my job right. And, uh, they tortured him for days, and uh, where he was hung with the rope, which is where he's hanged by his bound wrists from the back, forcing his arms to bear the body's weight and dislocating his shoulders. Yeah. And he was released after three weeks. So, you know, that's a long time. Um, and he retired to his estates, and he started writing. He wrote a bunch of cool stuff, and a lot of it's on republicanism. And it's really pro-republicanism, the idea of a, a country as a whole kind of governed by the people, and the people having a say, including the common people. And he preaches on a lot of stuff about Livy, talks about Livy and discourses on Livy is one of his big books. And he talks about history. And uh, he's a pretty strict uh, Republican. And he wants the people to be involved. This is why the prince gets such a strange and interesting reputation. It's very hard to interpret what his intention with the prince is. Because the prince is written from the point of view of somebody advising a new Prince, somebody mm. taking control of a country. He calls them like principles a lot, principalities. Mm. And he, um, so he talks about uh, what they should do, how to rule, how they should deal with people, how they should de deal. It's literally like a, how to deal with siege weapons is one chapter. How to deal with <laughs> yeah. mercenaries is another chapter. How to deal with this, but what potential made, betrayal? Exactly. And what made him so hated to the point where Machiavellianism is viewed as such a negative thing, and the idea of him, uh, he was actually called Old Nick, uh, was kind of became a little saying for him, and he was associated with Satan. It would be a saying you'd say yeah. to people around there, like, oh man, you're just like Old Nick if you were kind of a sneaky Machiavellian right. person to associate yeah. you with Satan, because they associated him with Satan because of the way that he talked about things. He hated idealism. He, he kind of took politics away from idealism and, and moral philosophy. He was just saying that rulers did things and anticipated things and acted upon stuff and everyone afterwards talks about them. And he writes about it bluntly. And this is where you can kind of see it as one of two things or several things really but <laughs> I see it as one of two things because I like Machiavelli and I think he's a smart man talking about good things. Um, is that he wrote it for the people. That it's not for a prince. It's not actually a list of ingredients. Because he sent it, he prefaces it as almost a job interview. That he's applying to the Medici government. Right. Saying like, I'm so good. I did so much good work for years for the Florentines. I'm so good for Florence. You should, this guy, hire this guy. But he didn't want the job. He hated them. Right. They tortured him for three weeks. He had no interest. He retired from, uh, from political life. He was done. Um, so why is he writing a job application for them? That's not what it is. That surface level of it is, is foolish to read it as such. Mm -hmm. It's either for the people, 
which is showing the truth of what the rulers did. Exactly. Right. Which in the this is the turn of the 1500s. So that's that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. He's showing how the the like man behind the curtain actually operates, which is how I view it. Which is him being sneaky, writing it almost as that, almost with a, like a humor to it. Yeah. This is how the world works, you guys. You see it as this, and I'm laughing at you because I know better. And uh, so it comes off as a little bit kind of pretentious and cocky, but I like that in the guy. Um, and the other way to read it is that it's like a complete satire. Mm. And that he's scathingly saying that the foolish way that they operate and the way that people have operated for years is... Um, is like ridiculous and he's pointing out the complete absurdity and brutality of it by writing a brutal honest discourse on it right i think that's a little forward thinking for uh, a man at the 1500s who worked loyally in this profession i think he just thinks of himself as incredibly skilled best yeah. at his job and he's like i know how the real world is and you guys don't that's how i view it and that's how i'm going to, dis to discuss it moving forward right because yeah. i'm a huge fan of his uh, some things that he says about religion, how it's man-made and how it's just used to control people. That is the reason why uh, Christians hate him real bad. And yeah. that's just truth. <laughs> truth, suckers. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's that's before his time there. Yeah. 1500s, he just, one of his direct quotes is uh, that it's uh, like that it's man-made. Uh, yeah. And um, but he, the, one, the one counterpoint I do want to toss out at this point, and I know you're in the middle of it, but... How widespread is literacy at this point? Well, literacy isn't that widespread, but the ideas were widespread. His ideas on how the rulers were ruling were getting widespread. People were discussing him. Yeah. And he wrote other things. He wrote comedies. He wrote about history. He wrote about historical figures. He wasn't like uh, an unknown commodity. Mm. And his, it was read well enough to the point where he was completely demonized. Like, so All I right. think he probably benefited from that, uh, like, you know, the same as when, uh, back in the mid nineties when they were slapping the humongous parental advisory stickers on everything and everybody was just buying those albums. <laughs> yeah. You gotta buy those <laughs> albums. Those look yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying that's not too far off from our boy Machiavelli. Here. Or if you're getting censored in any other form, it's like, Ooh, I gotta get my hands on that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> so his stuff on idealism and he has some really good stuff about, um, uh, just basically how you have to be cruel sometimes and you have to be kind sometimes. Inevitably, you're going to have to be cruel and you got to be kind as well. You got to deal out your cruelties all at once real fast and just start slitting throats all in one night yeah. to get it over with and then start dishing out your kindnesses slowly over time so people see you over time as a kind person right. instead of your vicious moves. Things like that are what made him bad. Or to, to no normal people, but... Plebs. So... Here's why I want to talk about how much I love him and how I truly uh, believe in a lot of things he says. This is some nonsense stuff about luck and all this stuff sure. and how the, a lot of weird stuff. But, you know, overall I like what he contributed to humanity. But I think he's wrong in one way, just one way, and it's a small way, but it also lets me talk about another cool bunch of stories and talk about a bunch of cool other people from history. Because um, I can talk about Machiavelli, and he deserves his own episode for all of his thoughts and what he contributed to the world and things that spun off of him and, and the way that that was uh, that. Because you can also talk about the Borgias, which uh, would be a great episode on its own. <laughs> but today I'm going to talk about the French, and the reason why is because he says that... Um, because he's an Italian guy, and he, he knew how continental Europe worked, and he saw France as powerful, but he saw thought they could have been the superpower to rule the world. They would have been invincible, he said, um, because of the way that they were set up in the at the end of the Hundred Year War. 
Um, and I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about Machiavelli again, but I'm not going to talk about him for a while, because I want to give you some backstory on the Hundred Year War, and we're going to get to this point where I think he's wrong, and uh, where uh, I, I think there's some, some fun contention there. So, Hundred Year War is just England versus France for like a hundred years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been oh, forever up. war. The yeah. war forever. The war of forever, and they hate each other, and they hate each other all day. Yeah. Um, a lot, it seems basically, because England just had a chunk of, uh, still continental holdings, uh, that were bordering with France, and that was a point of contention, and there was still a lot of little kind of city-states that were kicking around, yeah. uh, that were too many power players in one place, and they were going to eventually get weeded out, and the Hundred Year War is where a lot of that stuff gets weeded out and decided upon, and a lot of borders and stuff gets sorted. And it's, um, it's a huge important stuff in history, and I'm not going to talk about all that, because, whew, it's another show onto itself. Hmm. But I'm going to talk about the end of it. The very, very end of it, and specifically just three French kings. Um, because they're the three last ones uh, for the um, Hundred Year War. So, Charles the Beloved, or Charles the Mad, is where I'm going to start. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I was looking up these guys. Was because how do you get both? Was my first question. How do you get the mad and the beloved? Seems like love kind of, you madly. Yeah, seems like a nutty, <laughs> nutty way to do it. He's in the um, uh, his reign is kind of turn of century, fourteen hundreds. Just uh, to throw my one date out. Sure. Um, and so he was uh, married at 17. He got the crown at like 12 or something stupid like that. Nice. He was like really, really young. He was nice. just a child. He was married to a 14-year-old. Nice. You know, the classic, classic. <laughs> they had 12 kids. Nice. Uh, yeah, most of them died young. Most of them were married off to have, uh, you know, allegiances and stuff. Sure. As, as you normally would. And when he was a kid, uh, his uncle, Philip the Bold, really ran the realm. That's and a great title. Philip yeah. the Bold's a great title. Bold is a good one. Good mm -hmm. one. But we're going to... His... Uh, Halifax <laughs> could take a note out of his book. Jeez. There's also John the Fearless is another guy who factors into this story. Okay. Nice. Well, we're, are we just, we're just walking walking through the golden age of titles here. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. There's Philip oh, the man. Good, Charles the Bad. That's why I can't... I can't... <laughs> okay, wait. That's okay, a, maybe... That's a dumb one. That's that's No, this bronze. is ridiculous stuff. The Bronze Age, maybe. So, um... Okay. Do a whole side episode just on silly titles. Oh, oh yeah. You definitely could. And this these guys would feature in heavily. Because, uh... What... <sighs> What I find a hard problem that I have with all this uh, Hundred Year stuff and War of the Roses, it's all goddamn Charleses yeah. and Henrys. It's, yeah. it's all Charles the same was... names. And you catch on to the On both sides. On both sides. Yeah. You don't get a break from it. Because at this point in time, the goddamn royal lines are so messed up and intermarried. And they've all, this is one of my favorite. They got on a, a little twist of insanity from one of the maternal grandmothers of uh, Charles the Beloved uh, or Charles the Mad. Uh, and it works its way through all of the English and French uh, sides. This bout of madness is what it's called. <laughs> and I'm going to get into it. Because it, is, it's super important to the way that uh, France found itself. Uh, it's so weird that madness and the fear of madness is a large part of the French identity <laughs> for this time. So, Charles the... He's called... He's just a kid. So we'll call him Charles the Kid. He's Charles... <laughs> <laughs> He's Charles the no, Sixth. Sidney Crosby already has that yeah, one. Okay. Right, right, right. 
So uh, we got Charles the Kid. Charlie the Kid. And uh, really, Philip the Bold is running the, the show. It's his Philly uncle, B. Philly B, is running the show. But Philly B and all the rest of his, um, his like, cronies are wrecking the finances of France. Like, demolishing them for personal gain. It's kind of what you expect when you got, like, a dumb kid who's, like, still a kid and can't really get the power for himself. Yeah. And uh, it's a whole bunch of adults just uh, exploiting, exploiting, exploiting. Classic, classic move. And they roiled, they completely ruined the finances. And uh, then Charles, when he became, uh, I think he was 20, uh, when he took over. Yeah, uh, he took over at age 20. Finally shook off Philip the Bold. Um, I don't have a bunch of information on Philip the Bold because that would launch into like a, the story of the Hundred Year War that I'm not going to do. Right. Um, but he shook off Philip the Bold and he starts uh, replacing him with a bunch of other highly competent advisors known as the Marmosets. The Marmosets? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Marmosets. The Mar Okay. Marmosets. Uh, little tiny monkeys. Yeah. And, uh, but either way, the Marmosets, these little champs did great work. <laughs> and uh. and the, um, <laughs> the French uh, crown is all of a sudden in the highest esteem again. And this is when... Charles the Kid shakes off the kid, becomes Charles the Beloved. Right. Because he's starting to pull France into another comfortable situation where there's trust in the crown. People can be rest assured that they're moving in the right direction. We're going to bounce those goddamn Brits out of here. Yeah, it's going to be um, Because when you're in a hundred year war with uh, a mortal enemy who's just off your shores on an island nation, you know, you're going to stress out if your country's not in a good yeah. Stable political situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, here's when it becomes no longer a firm, stable <laughs> political situation. The first period of Charles the Beloved's madness or mental illness, because it's definitely mental illness. Yeah. They call mm -hmm. it madness. That's rude. <laughs> That's not what it is. It's mental illness. Political you, you, correctness. You don't know what it is, but uh, it's some sort of mental illness. So, uh, someone tried to kill uh, Charles the Beloved. Kind of makes sense. He's the king of France. You figure he kind of deals with a few of those here and there. Some assassination attempts. Um, but he was really, really, really decided that he was going to get this guy who had <laughs> taken refuge in Brittany, which was like, you know, just off the side of France there. Yeah. And so they launch a military expedition and Charles the Beloved has to go too. And apparently he was kind of like really worked up and feverish to start it up. Really, really worked up. Yeah. To the point that when they were going and they kind of had to move slowly through all this bogs and nonsense. And they was moving slower than uh, Charles wanted. He started going crazy. He was just really, really, really worked up. Like frantically. And then this page drops a, a lance. He's carrying a lance. I figure it's like a procession of a bunch yeah. of guys. He's just a page holding a lance and he drops it. Whoops, you might get like a smack in the back of the head or something like that, but shouldn't be a big deal. It hits a metal helmet that was like, uh, I think either someone was wearing or just hanging off a horse. Just makes a clang noise, a loud clang noise. And immediately, the king uh, sits up straight in his horse, shudders, and um, he screams, draws his sword and yells, Forward against the traitors, they wish to deliver me to their enemy, and starts slashing at his companions. And just starts wiping people out. Right. And it took a whole bunch okay. of people to, to grab him and, and drag him to the ground. By that point in time, he'd killed a knight known as the Bastard of Polgnach. 
Probably for the best. That guy sounds like a villain. And several other dudes. Like, this king killed a whole bunch of people. Damn. And then when they, they finally calmed him down, he laid still, did not react, and then fell into a coma. Okay. Right. So, that's, yeah. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, okay. That's pretty, uh, that's not good. It's not great. No, um, not, not normally a quality you, you look for in a leader. So, from this point in time in his life, he will suffer from a bunch of different um, mental illnesses that will just rear up from time to time. He'll have moments of clarity and able to like work as a leader, and then he'll forget his own name, he'll forget his wife, he'll chase people around, he, he'll see people as lions. Um, they had to board him up inside of a hotel because he was just running around naked. Like, um, oh yeah, this is the other one. He had glass delusion, which is that he thought oh, he was yeah. made of glass and, uh, that he would break if he, if he had any sort of like contact. He had iron sewn into his clothes so that it wouldn't shatter if he bumped into anybody. Um, he had this party where they had some like, uh, the king, four other lords, like, this one guy was like, hey, we're going to have this crazy party, and you're going to dress up like wild men. You guys are going to dance around like all those, like, you know, crazy savages we've been fighting. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be a fun party. <laughs> so they dressed in uh, big, hairy, covered clothes with, like, wax holding on a bunch of fur onto their clothes. And um, they're just goofing around, like, getting people to come in and, like, look at the king and all his friends goofing around, dressing up. And uh, the, king, the king's brother had a torch and was trying to figure out who they were and accidentally set one on fire. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, set one on fire and the fire just started spreading all over the place. And the king was uh, on fire and someone threw a gown over him to like, put him <laughs> out. And uh, four guys died. <laughs> and uh, one dude jumped into a dishwater tub to save himself. So now he's kind of busted. Like yeah. that that that's kind of one of these deciding moments where like he tried to have fun one day and it didn't work out. It and now just he's really broken. went poorly. Yeah. It's about as bad as I could go. Yeah, and um he he just starts kind of doing some real dumb moves. Uh he kicks the Jews out of uh France. Oh. Not, sure. that, Not a good That move. always goes well. And yeah. releases all yeah. the Christians from their debts. Oh. Another dumb move. So that's not good. So now people start taking power away from him. Yeah, it's like you're, yeah, it's, it's time. You basically have to. And I like how even if even when a guy goes crazy, like still, it's just just go right for the juice. Just go right for the yeah. It's what a, is up with that? He, this guy's broken. He thinks he's made of glass. Like he's <laughs> lost his mind completely. Runs around naked, and still he's like, no. Also. Get the juice. While, while I'm taking <laughs> swings at my friends and, and nobody at all, and, and I'm running around naked, I'm, I'm just going to make sure I get the what juice. What is that real gene? Bad. What is that gene that just gives people that default hate <laughs> the juice? Lame them. It's, it's despicable. It's a despicable <laughs> move. It comes up in weird places. So, here we go. This is where things start getting really complicated, and I'm going to I'm going to start messing up. I really like the fact that you. it's so easy to see this guy who shook off the, like, puppet masters who were holding him down and ruled so competently he gained the name the beloved and then went crazy and then went so crazy he became a broken man and had to lose his country um so that that was what kind of pulled me in as interesting and then uh he was he had his power taken away from him and filled the bold chills back up again and uh there's kind of a power struggle moving on here where people are really uh john the fearless is involved 
Watch out for that guy. <laughs> yep. Um, and it ended in an outright civil war, kind of between these people, like John the Fearless and Philip the Bold, and we had got some other guys kicking around. But hashtag um, Team Fearless. <laughs> Damn right. Um, so the English then show up because the English, what they would do in the Hundred Year War, pretty pretty commonly. Because um, France has to deal with everyone else. Yeah. And then France has the alliance with Scotland. So it's basically the Hundred Year War to me when I'm reading, and this is just a fast forward, like I, I'll probably end up doing one because I do like the history of it and it's sure. really cool. Um, they'd wait for opportunities, like a good board game player, yeah. where Scotland would poke when England was uh, like directed elsewhere, and England would wait until France was directed elsewhere, and then they'd poke at uh, France. So the fact that there was a civil war happening in France meant that, yeah, the English are totally going to attack. That's, that's, that would be the time. That yeah. would be the time. Um, As is tradition. And, yeah, really. <laughs> and uh, they married off one of Charles's daughters to uh, Richard II of England, but uh, Richard died really early and they didn't have any kids, so that didn't lead to anything. Uh, then Henry V uh, led an invasion that culminated in the defeat of the French army. And then John the Fearless was assassinated. So the French were in a really crappy situation, uh, so they were kind of forced to sign a bad treaty. It's the Treaty of Troyes. And it recognized Henry of England as the successor to Charles the Mad. And Henry the England was the future king of England. Right. And Charles still had a son, um, who was Charles VII. Um, and the thing was, he disinherited his son which was acting against the interests of France. And it was just basically for the personal benefit of all these regions who were trying to make power alliances between the two people. And um, so the, his son declared himself king while uh, Charles the Mad was still alive, just being like, okay, well, you're disinheriting me. I'm going to declare myself king. <laughs> I'm and, right here, guys. Right and, here. Yeah. And when the, Charles the Mad ordered him to come to Paris, he was like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do Smart. that. And uh, Charles VII is only 17 at this point in time. And, and he was still being manipulated by advisors, but he was just a 17-year-old kid. So then Charles died. He's a, he's a guy who's pretty broken um, and clearly had mental health issues, but he died at 53, so he still actually had a pretty good long reign. Um, good, maybe not. Maybe not well, good. For yeah. the, he had a few years. Good, good <laughs> like, for him. Maybe like, good for him. It, he, the Lance incident where he like broke for the first time. Yeah. Uh, that happened in his mid-20s. Okay. So in the five years in between when he shook off his uh, uncle at age 20 and when he kind of got hit in his mid-20s, yeah. um, he did enough to be called the Beloved and That's gained uh, finances for, like, restocked the treasury oh, of yeah. France. Okay. So here's where the fear of mental illness starts coming into play. Because Henry VI is mentally ill. <sighs> Henry VI also is incredibly meek. Um, has some real timidly stuff and is insane. He becomes <laughs> insane later. He uh, he doesn't respond to anything for a year later in his life. Um, he didn't res he didn't like respond to the birth of his son. He like nothing was shaking him from this like slumber. So the French were kind of worried about him because he's just this kid and he's all sickly and they're already worried about mental illness because this kid's showing traces of it. Yeah. And uh, Henry becomes a whole mess, whole mess that England has to deal with. Um, but Charles VII, uh, Charles the Mad's uh, son. son, who named himself king at 17, um, he, 
he didn't get killed because he didn't go to Paris under his dad's orders. Smart. Smart move. Yeah. And he's named himself king. Uh, but he doesn't really have crap. And everyone's making fun of him. They're calling him, like, uh, Dauphin, like the, the heir of yeah. France. And they're calling him the king of Bourges, just because yeah, he's up there yeah. in Bourges. And, like, that's it. Um, and uh, so then he marries. Uh, he gets a good, good, like, marriage alliance. That's an important thing. And uh, he, he starts waiting and waiting and waiting. And this, he, he's really indecisive at this time. He can't figure out what he's going to do. Meanwhile, the English on all their territorial areas, they're taking over more and more stuff. And this is where the Siege of Orleans is happening. And the Siege of Orleans, it was under siege for like a year. And it's a major French city. And this yeah. was going to be a major English win. And in comes Joan of Arc. And we're not going to talk about Joan of Arc. <laughs> we're not going to, yeah. because she deserves her own story. And Definitely. does not deserve me talking about her. But needless to say, she swings the, uh, the momentum of the war for the French. And the French start kicking the English off of their continental uh, earnings. And that's, that's super important. And it's not really, like, attributed much to Charles VII. Like, he wasn't Joan of Arc. That's kind of what is attributed. But he was deemed pretty competent to, like, kind of keep the momentum going. <laughs> yeah. and, he was around uh, when all this happened. And so. he didn't let the, like, you know, momentum die once she did. Because, you know, she gets got. Yeah. And, Spoiler alert. And she, um, <laughs> she like, you know, she she helped turn the tide of, of the momentum of the battle. But... You still gotta hold that stuff, and you gotta cement your your rule, and you gotta figure it out. So um, he does that. Uh, I'm not gonna get into the Hundred Year War because that's that's worthy of its own. But he, with the momentum that's gained from all this stuff with uh, Joan of Arc, and they're able to beat the f English off. And they kind of uh, they they basically just have that's a good one. I know. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it. <laughs> it took him two decades, but eventually he beat them off. <laughs> If there's oh, one yeah. thing we got to trip it's stamina. Oh. <laughs> uh. So, uh, yeah, so this is, I'm going to try and get back on track here. The English pushed the French, or the French pushed the English off of continental Europe. Um, sure. With the exception of the northern port of Calais, or Calais, or whatever. Calais. Calais. I'm not good with that. So, close of reign. This is where um, I want to bring up Machiavelli again. Um, Machiavelli stated at this point in time, because what happened and was pretty cool about Charles VII, what helped him with his um, military stuff, was that he, he had a, a good army of, um, uh, of French people. And he wasn't using mercenaries as much. Mm -hmm. um, he, was, he was kind of moving in that direction. And uh, I just want to make sure I have that completely correct. Yeah, so he, um, he, he didn't use uh, mercenaries. He just used uh, a standing army. It was like one of the first standing armies in that area in a really long time. And uh, he paid well, and it was a good move. Yeah, it was the first standing army actually since Roman times for France. So uh -huh. uh, they didn't have a standing army in a really long time. Um, Once and again, dispelling the stereotype that, oh, French military victory. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. And Ma Machiavelli really gave that guy the credit he deserves, saying, like, that's a military champ, and he, um, he, he got France back, kicked the English out of France, made it kind of the borders of France as we know it, uh, and he, um, he had a good standing army. He's saying that if his son uh, had continued his father's tradition, France would have been invincible. 
was uh, was Machiavelli's statement. And I don't think so. Um, here's why. I like his son. <laughs> his son's interesting to me. I think his son did something very cool. Because uh, Charles and his son, the end of Charles the Seventh life, Charles the Victorious, as he is known after he beats the nice. English. Oh, Good yeah. name to have. We nice. go from Charles the Mad, Charles the Beloved, to uh, Charles, or, uh, yeah, Charles the Victorious. Pretty good. Um, we got all good mm-hmm. nicknames in here. Oh, yeah. And he, uh, he spends kind of the last few years of his life feuding with his son. Um, his son wants real power, not just uh, the title of prince and heir. He wants real power, something to, to do, something to gain, something that he can prove himself and gain some glory on. And his father doesn't really want to give him this power, and so his son kind of just keeps taking it. And just, like, uh, he gets given a province to have administrative powers over, and he's like, okay, and then he starts doing things that are way more ballsy than his father wanted him to do. Um, and uh, he actually, on his deathbed, um, his son, Louis... Uh, Louis? Louis? Uh, Louis XI. Um, Louis refused to visit with him, instead waiting in Burgundy for his father to die. Because yeah. um, his father uh, kind of went mad as well. Charles the Victorious, only on his deathbed, though. And it was because he was, uh, he was kind of surrounded, he thought everyone was out to get him, and his son was surrounding him with traitors. And he was sick, and he had the fever, and infection in his jaw, and he couldn't eat. So he couldn't yeah. swallow food or water, and he died of starvation. Yeah. Like, that's, in his, the last week of, like, of his life, he was saying all these crazy things, and his son wouldn't come to him. And uh, that's kind of, like, why they thought he went mad. But that just sounds like a dude who's dying real bad. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so Louis XI, um, he, he's not like, he's not like his dad. <laughs> he's a weirdo. <laughs> I, I read him like a strange bookie nerd. Like, um, he, he wanted some sort of interesting power to have, but he, he really, once he gets power and he becomes the king of France, he does it all through diplomacy. He doesn't do as much military stuff. Um, he, he becomes, he has a feud with Charles the Bold, um, and that's kind of an internal fight. He has internal fights, and he's trying to gain... Uh, like stability more than anything else, but he gains more land for France by um, through the Burgundian court uh, because he uh, he was able to convince them and trick them and like get through diplomacy, get involved in a war with them that if he helped them they'd gain a little bit of territory right. and then a little bit more territory, and it gained him the name of the cunning yeah. or the prudent or my personal favorite. The Universal Spider. Oh my! <laughs> um, because his enemies, <laughs> his enemies accused him of spinning webs <laughs> and being like a sneaky spider, like berries. Yeah. Um, and he was universal, a, though. Yeah, it yeah. Seems like a because once he got rid of all of the direct foreign threats, joke police are coming oh, for that. Oh, that they, they, like they don't like me does. today. Wow. They're coming. Yeah, you're having me. a rough go. Jeez. Um, there we go. So, uh, at this point in time, um, Louis XI, he, uh, gets rid of all of his internal threats. Charles the Bold was kind of like his big one. Um, got rid of Charles the Bold. And he isolated Charles from the, his English allies, because Charles was, like, real tight with the English, um, by signing the treaty that, uh, 
formally ended the Hundred Year War. Like, all the real damage had been done by his father, but he was able to get it to the point where he signed off with the English to, to stop this nonsense and was able to be diplomatic enough where he signed off right. formally and it ended it. It ended right. it for good. And he was uh, he took a whole bunch of Burgundian territories after Charles the Bull died by like using that kind of Roman defensive offensive. You attacked me and you struck against me and you were an ally of this guy and he gained more territories for France. And um, he didn't use a standing army. Uh, he used mercenaries. Mm. And his thing was I, he didn't get in as many fights. He fought internally and he wasn't looking to to fight externally. He just used advantageous situations. So the only real issue I have with Machiavelli, I don't really think he's that wrong. I just wanted to tie Machiavelli into it, because he can, um, <laughs> is that uh, I see this as being a modern version of imperialism. Well, I think this guy was doing some interesting imperialism, but not like taking over uh, new areas, but able to gain more territory through um, diplomacy. Mm. Just pure diplomacy. And uh, through negotiating and being sneaky and having this allure about him without, and the danger of like the universal spider, without Scary. having um, to, to use a big standing army, which mm. had been a hundred year fight uh, that France and England had been dealing with for generation after generation. He was able to tie it up in a nice little bow with some diplomacy and some sneaky. I guess treaties. Sneaky treaties. Sneaky yeah. treaties. Um, yeah. Spinning some whips. Another little thing. You did a bunch of the roads. Yeah. Mm. Roads are good. Roads are good. That goes mm. a long way. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'd want to I'd be like the road builder. That'd be my title. Get the longest road. Yeah. That'd be a good one. I'd want that as a title. Just feels like something real solid. You can build a, build your country up. Hey, we still remember Sir John A. for building that railroad. That's yeah, exactly they do. It. They yeah. do. Yeah. He was actually uh, very, like, no one really mourned his death. No one cared about him. Yeah. Because he was sneaky and reclusive, and, like, nobody really knew what his actual motivations were and whether, right. what he was tight. And, um, yeah, like, he, he just, not much is known about the guy. Uh, reading about his actual exploits, just a lot of it's like, he did it through cunning. He did it through wit. We don't really know how, but he left that like place with a treaty that said he owned this chunk of land and those guys they were like we kind of wanted that land <laughs> like well how do we sign that off to him and he was like already out plus he had a pretty funky hat if you check out all his pictures yeah he's got a pretty funky hat <laughs> yeah uh so those were my guys that i was tying in to the end of the hundred year war and machiavelli and how he viewed standing armies and a whole bunch of other nonsense but tying it all up right now the one thing I'd want to dig into there is, is he inheriting a situation where he can't maintain the standing army or he actively chooses to disband it? Or he chose it... to disband it and use Swiss mercenaries. Um, specifically Swiss. So specifically okay. Swiss mercenaries. They're the best. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I, I picked up a Swiss mercenary the other day. Fantastic. <laughs> the best. <laughs> Fantastic. They can do anything. Oh, they oh, got... That Swiss guy didn't serve oh, they're Louis so the... Loyal. Uh, what was that? 16th? 15th? 14th? They're so, so loyal. What's that? Oh, no, no. There was a Swiss guard that was actually part of uh, one of the, uh, I think, Louis the 14th bodyguards. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I didn't serve him too well in the end. They, they weren't all that effective against a mob. Well, but, sure. but, but it's a mob. It's Louis XI learned from some mistakes and uh, was using good use of them. See, yeah. what I, yeah, but like, talking about how 
France could have been invincible if he'd kept the standing army. Do you think maybe he could have just taken more land if he'd kept the standing army and then just started to march? But that's where I think the personalities of people are so much... Like, that's where history, the great mans versus great trends mm. theory start to come up. Because, sure, if another, like, Charles the Victorious showed up, then, sure, I bet, like, he could have kept rolling and he could have taken something military. But instead, you got this universal snot fighter. It's true. He had to do what he could kind of thing. And But he's... He's taking the direction that France was going in, which is, okay, we bounce the English out of here, let's wait for them to fight the Scottish and then jump down their throat again, and instead went, stop that. Yeah. And directed his attention somewhere else to another weaker enemy and absorbed them. Yeah. And just was like, we're, we're going to start this, they're sta start staunching this, like, you know, constantly bleeding wound over here and start poking a new one yeah. over this direction and do it through diplomacy instead of killing all of them. Yeah, certainly people. shutting mm -hmm. down the war with the English was the right thing to do. Yeah. I just think that, when France, like, especially, like, any time before, you know, the last 50 years, if France just gets its knickers in a knot and decides, hey, we're going to go marching across Europe, there has never been anyone that could stop them. Like, yeah. they've, they've just decided a few times, let's go, and they've gone yeah. to Russia. <laughs> and yeah. they, like, and then they kind of went a little too far and had to fall back if you, like, you know, but, like, France just decides, like, hey, let's take over all of that that way, it and they just go that way. But then you get the guy who doesn't want to do that. Yeah, you and get the it, weirdos. It works out yeah. that way. I just think, like, it, you know, he might have been right about the idea that if they just doubled down on the standing army that were there, they could have been an invincible military power. They really could have just, like, started just stomping their sure. way across, you know. But they just as likely could have kept the 100-year war yeah, going into a 200-year war. <laughs> yeah. Um... And then you have the Habsburg Empire probably waltz right in there and be like, okay, yeah, you guys have been going at it for how long and we've been staying out of Something it, so... Like that, yeah. Prussians. Yeah. France had been Prussians. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. dealing with a lot of uh, fires for a long period of time. And, yeah. and when I was reading about the Hundred Year War and the history and the aftermath of the Hundred Year War, it seemed like Louis XI uh, was a big turning point where it just felt like France wasn't expanding as much as mm. dramatically, but they were just not... Dealing with a hundred thousand border wars, always having someone poking at them. Yeah. And it just felt like in that war with the English, it, they never were going to get much. Like, I, I was impressed reading the Hundred Year War that France was able to bounce them off. Because the idea of an island nation, who's sure they've got Scotland kind of poking at them every once in a while, but even reading the Hundred Year War was always like, okay, once they swung their armies around from France, they just went and dealt with the Scottish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah, yeah. and then they brought them back around, and then they swung them back down to the French, and then once Scotland came back, they swung them back around, and then, and then they crushed the Scottish. <laughs> yeah. But England would, or France always had like, like Burgundy, or they had Spain, or they had Italy, or they had something else deal to deal with. Yeah. And it always felt like they were on the losing side like that. Right. And I, I was impressed that they were able to uh, get all of their continental holdings and then stop it. And then, like, it's like flipping the board at the right time in a board game. Yeah. Like, uh, or, like, being able to, like, oh, hey, look, uh, we got, should we end it now? <laughs> yeah. So it's getting pretty late. Should we end it now while you're leading? Like, yeah. <laughs> while you've got the most money in your pot? Yeah. Um, I, I like... The Universal Spider. For the sp that. It's a cool title. Yeah. It is a cool there's, title. There's no doubting that. That's Very cool title. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't help but feel, though, like he's still left with this legacy of being able to, like, wield a big stick while at the same time maybe he's whittling down the end that he's holding or something. I, I don't know. It still feels like he's using what he inherited to his advantage and... Maybe he maybe he didn't need to carry forward with the standing army. Maybe it's the right timing for it all, just to be able to say, "Hey, we're we're 
riding these coattails. And you guys know what we're capable of, even though you don't really see what's going on behind the curtain here. But still going to be able to, like, grab all this shit. It's, mm. it's always, like, right person, right place, right time. Mm. Yeah. And clearly he played that up. He played that very well. Mm-hmm. And maybe if it was a dude who had a more standing army, let's go get those English again, yeah. he could have had some very different situations. But, uh... The fact that uh, they were able to staunch it, I was impressed with. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That's a, well, I mean, a war for a hundred years. If you're the guy who ends it, then that's a kudos. That's oh. a kudos. Yeah. yeah. And then he ended it not even on favorable or unfavorable conditions because yeah. um, Charles the Victorious would have been in the situation to really stick it to the English. He had yeah. smashed their army, and uh, he had bounced most of them, all their continental holdings off. But. Uh, Louis the Prudent, or the Universal Spider, was doing it to get at his internal threats, to yeah. stop the internal uh, conflicts of, of uh, France by just cutting them out with the English, by making peace finally with the English, so that people couldn't constantly, in France, look to the English and be like, hey, hey, we'll turn on France if you come help us, right. which was a constant problem for yeah. France in the Hundred Year War. He was able to completely shut down that repeating cycle of events. Yeah. Because that's, that's got to be an annoying cycle of events if you're a leader. Yeah. It's got to be an annoying, annoying thing. Yeah. It is interesting to see yeah him come along in France, whereas just if by some fluke Napoleon had been born in his mm-hmm. stead, yeah. Napoleon would have just doubled the standing army and burnt everything to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, we're just going, we're just going, we're going to go now, we're going to go, we're going to kill everything. Yeah. yeah. And so there's all these people who'd be like, hey, England, do you want to come? Oh, no, never mind, there's cannons everywhere. <laughs> there's so many cannons. <laughs> They're everywhere. So that's just like, yeah, kind of a novel approach for the French, I guess, at that point. Yeah. to not just wield their massive army everywhere. I like a guy who can say no. Yeah. <laughs> 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 let down a little bit. I mean, you know what? I've had enough. Everybody oh, chill out. Yeah. Sit this round out. Just chill out. Fair enough. <laughs> it is a cool hat, too. It's a very cool hat. I'll yeah. probably try and do something with that hat. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's 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 as rambly as I wanted to get about the Hundred Year War without uh, actually getting into the Hundred Year War. Pretty good. Also, um, another little thing for people if they're interested in Game of Thrones, because we've made some Game of Thrones uh, talk on this show in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hundred Year War and uh, War of the Roses have a mm-hmm. lot of direct connections to Game of Thrones plot lines to the point where you can kind of start predicting some character arcs yeah. just based on the, the traditional like hierarchy of these people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, read your history if you want to know some more about some HBO shows or Netflix shows or any other shows that are coming out. Read some history. Hey man, whatever motivation the people need, right? Exactly. Yeah. We're just all about people reading about history. Well, I'm, I'm waiting for that Joan of Arc Netflix special. Uh, it's got to happen. Netflix original series about Joan of Arc. The last one I can think of is the Lily Sobieski one, where <laughs> yeah. she was Joan of Arc. Yeah, we need a new one. We need a new it's one. It's time. Yeah, Lily yeah. Sobieski hasn't been around in a while. No, no. <laughs> so I think we've gone into an obscure enough place now where we're name dropping '90s and early 2000s actresses. Yep. Um. Normally, I thank one of you guys for telling a story, but well, no, thank you, Carl. Oh, look at this there we one. Go. Uh, everyone, check out our cool stuff uh, on cbkhalifax.com. We got a special uh, weird net, or weird web series coming out called Doolittle. It's probably up by now. Uh, it's on every Sunday before Game of Thrones. Check it out. Uh, we also got another weird thing coming this summer. And all of our other podcasts and nonsense is there. I want to thank Johnny Buckles for doing these podcasts today. That's no uh, Ryan the Road Builder. Oh. 
Remember? Ryan, longest road builder. <laughs> That's my but, title. Okay. <laughs> you, you go ahead and hang on to that. You can like hang you, on to that. You put that feather in your cap. That doesn't like get it. you a full win. That's only two points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so check out all that cool stuff. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.